Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation, You Don't Know What You Don't Know. This is a special episode of Counselor Toolbox with Cecilia Brasenio, LCSW, from Arlington, Texas. Cecilia is a bilingual licensed clinical social worker at Brightside Family Therapy in Arlington, Texas. Following the completion of her master's program, she went on to study marriage and family therapy in a doctoral program at Texas Women's University, which helped her to broaden her knowledge of solution-focused therapy and family systems. Cecilia's found her niche in working with families navigating through the immigration process. She provides evaluations explaining the hardships they face when separated from their loved ones and is now also providing trainings for clinicians interested in working with immigrants. So welcome, Cecilia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. So, you know, let's start out with you do two different seminars, one on hardship evaluations and another one on path to your LCSW. And, you know, I'm an LPC, so it's a little bit different. But I know when I got out of um, college and even going into college, I wished there were things that I would have asked, but I didn't know to ask them. So with people that are getting ready to graduate and they're getting ready to start on their adventure towards getting their LCSW, I'm sure there are a lot of things that people just don't even know they don't know. Um, so how can this webinar that you do, or not webinar, I'm sorry, seminar that you do, um, help someone who's recently graduated or maybe getting ready to graduate? So yeah, I, I actually, I started um, providing LCSW supervision and um, in starting that process and, and um, having people reach out to me, I realized that people just didn't really know what the process was like. They didn't know what they needed to do. They didn't know the different steps. They didn't know how many hours they needed to do. They just were kind of clueless as to the process. And so I decided that this is something that, that I thought would be helpful. So I started the first one that I did. It was, um, I ended up having, I, I thought I was going to have it in my office and would just be a few people and then realized a few days before that I had, um, like, I don't even remember, like 60 something people say that they were interested in a bunch. So I ended up having like 35 show up. I ended up last minute having to like rush and find a restaurant that would let us have us, you know, that would have us there. And, um, and so I realized, okay, this is a need. And even still to this day, I get, I get messages and emails and calls asking, are you still going to be doing this? Because, you know, I heard about it and I really need to do it. So it is good for people that are going to be graduating and also people that have recently graduated because it lets them know what the process is like. 
and lets them know, okay, this is the type of job I need to look, be looking for. I need to have a clinical position where I'm able to do, you know, these three things I need to be assessing, I need to diagnose, and I need to treat. Okay, so that's exactly what I need to do. And I say, yes, you know, so if you have questions or if you see a job description, you have a question, call me, and I'm happy to help you through that. Um, but just being there to kind of explain the process and then to help navigate that process whenever they need it. I get people that I've been in contact, in contact with for months that, um, that will contact me and say, hey, I'm interested in this type of job. Do you think it would be clinical or whatever? And um, because one of the things is several of my, um, my supervisees were in clinical positions for years, some of them for five or six or seven years, not knowing that it was that they could have been using those that time in that in that job in that position towards their hours and so they're kind of kicking themselves now because they could be done and so but they just didn't know and you know the schools don't necessarily focus on that and so by offering this this is something that um, I feel like is is help give kind of giving back and then um, and helping them to know what to expect so that they are going into this whole process fully understanding what is going to be expected of them. Right. And one of the things that I found um, as, as a supervisor when I was working in Florida, and um, uh, I'm sure it's the same in many places, is there are certain questions that people need to know to ask of their potential internship sites, even if it's postmasters, if they're going to be getting clinical hours, there are questions that they need to ask if the agency is providing supervision towards licensure um, or if they're allowed to use an outside supervisor. So there's a lot of questions that, Absolutely. you know, people don't even realize and they can get stuck in a situation where um, they may be required, for example, to continue to work at the place, wherever it was they did their internship, for another two to three years after they get their license um, or have to face, like, significant paybacks and or they may not be able to use any hours that they do at that clinic with an outside supervisor. So they're only allowed to be supervised by someone who works at that facility. So there's a lot of questions that, mm -hmm. like I said, people just don't even know to ask. And what I'm hearing you say, too, which is really awesome, is when people come to your uh, seminar on the, the path to your LCSW, yes, it's a short seminar, you know, mm -hmm. I'm assuming like an hour, two hours. Yes. But you are available for mentoring and it's not just a one-off you're available to them for questions as they come up you know henceforth and forevermore as they're trying to navigate this process um, absolutely is, and that's one of the things that I wanted to be able to offer because I kind of struggled with that myself that I didn't know um, I didn't I didn't really know what I was getting into and I didn't understand the difference between um, you know I didn't understand what I needed to be doing as an LMSW, as an LCSW, what the differences were, how to do that. And so even questions, I still, I have even like um, BSW students that are in there that, you know, just come because they want to know. And so then I talk to them about, okay, the different types of programs, like a social work program versus counseling versus marriage and family therapy versus, you know, if they're wanting to do psychology, what are the, the, um, what they can expect with that. So I, I, and of course I don't know it all, but 
I didn't, I felt like I didn't really have that guidance and I wish I would have because I probably would have done things a little bit differently had I known. But, um, but you know, now being in the position that I am, I, I kind of see things a little bit clearer and have a better understanding. And so I want to be able to offer that to, um, to new and up, you know, upcoming social workers because this is, you know, I, I, these are my colleagues, my future colleagues. And so I want to be able to build those relationships. I want to be able to help them to understand through the process. You know, if no one else, you can always call me and I'll, and I'll help you. It doesn't even have to relate to this. Just call me and I'm, I'm happy to help you if I can. So. Right. And, you know, with portability of licenses, um, one of the things that I found, I've lived in a couple of different states since I got licensed. And one of the things that I never knew about or, you know, didn't really take into consideration when I was going through my master's program. And, you know, thankfully, I ended up going to a KCREP accredited program. But for counselors, you really need to graduate from a program that's either core or KCREP accredited. Just any old master's program is not going to do um, in order to get licensed. So that was one of those questions that I had no idea I needed, I needed to ask when I was going through it. So, you know, it sounds like BSW students would or people would be very uh, well served to attend this so they get started on the right step um, or on the right path from the very beginning. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that that's one of the things that I do is I go through, you know, our, our rules and rugs and I just, I simplify for them. So it's, you know, information that they can get themselves, but it's, it's a lot more convoluted when you don't really understand what it is, what it means, or it just feels like a wealth of information that you don't know what you need to pick out of it. And so you know, I just, I make it very simple for them and give them a, a handout and I show them, you know, what a supervision plan looks like. And so build out, this is what it would look like. And these are the different things that you need to, to turn in and, you know, how to turn it in. You always want to make sure that you send it certified with the, with the read receipt, you know, so those types of steps that's no one told me and I wish that they would have. So, because I've heard horror stories and, you know, all kinds of things. So now I could just kind of condense everything and give it to them in a pretty little package. So it's easy for them to understand and then they can go and then they can be successful. Awesome. Um, While we're on this, I mean, we've covered several of the things that you go over in this webinar. Are there, or seminar, sorry. Um, Are there other topics that you generally cover? We talked about, you know, choosing your program and then choosing a place to get your clinical hours, but are there other topics that you often talk about? Um, Yeah, definitely. I I think we also talk about, one of the things that we typically talk about is um, what to look for in a supervisor if they're going to, you know, if they're not going to use a supervisor at their place of employment. So um, different things to look for in a supervisor as far as, you know, making sure that it's a fee that they can um, that they can afford because this is a long-term commitment. Um, uh, the location, um, picking someone that's in line with your beliefs as far as the way you work with clients, you know, just a number of different things as far as what to, what to look for in a supervisor. And then also just what to expect of the process and how to be thinking about the process. Because I think, you know, you just kind of, I know that I did, I was like, okay, I've got to do this. Like, I'm just going to, Luckily, I found a supervisor that was a solution-focused supervisor, and so that was 
um, awesome for me. And I, you know, I could have gotten it for free, but I, I paid because I wanted to have someone that, that was doing what I planned to do. And, um, but also, what was I going to say that, um, I just lost it. Oh, just how to be thinking about the process and to go in there knowing that this is going to be, this is, um, a time for you to be learning and a time for you to be gaining as much knowledge as you can from your supervisor. So if you're in a, a position that's, um, maybe not as challenging or, you know, in a work position that you're maybe not being challenged, then mm-hmm. I encourage you to go and find something that will challenge you. Um, because if this is something that you're going to want to do in the future is work with a certain population and you're not doing that right now, you're probably not going to have as much guidance. You can obviously find guidance, but, um, but this is a time where it's built in where you want to take full advantage of having a supervisor that you can call or you can email or you can, you know, message at any time and say, Hey, I had this client come up or I'm stuck and I don't really know how to help this person. Then this is, that's what this is for. This is designed to be able to give you that guidance that you need because following this, you're on your own and you're expected to, to figure it out or to refer out or whatever you need to do. But while you have this guidance, use it and utilize it as much as you can. Sure. And I think you raise a really good point that sometimes um, getting your supervision at your facility, even if it's free, is not necessarily the best way to get your supervision because if there's a particular philosophy that you use that your on-site supervisor does not espouse, you're not going to develop those skills as much as if you found a supervisor that you two are more copacetic in terms of your approaches and your thinking. Exactly. Um, The other, the last question I kept referring to this as a webinar anyway, um, do you ever offer this as a webinar for people who are a little bit too far to drive to Arlington? I have not yet. I, I have one scheduled for, uh, for February, I believe it's February 17th. And, um, but after that, my plan is to offer it through, um, through a webinar, probably through a platform kind of like this with zoom. Um, so that is, that is my hopes to do that in the future. And, you know, it, it will probably just be for clinicians or for, um, for social workers in Texas, Although if other people want to join in, they're welcome to. It's just going to be a little bit different of a process probably in their, in their state. But same, you know, same ideas and everything. Sure. But I mean, there are, I'm sure, a ton of social workers in Texas that could benefit from this information oh, yeah. who may be in, in different parts of the state. Okay. So let's move on to hardship evaluations. And this was something that sort of piqued my interest. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what a hardship evaluation is and, and who needs them? Sure. So um, this these evaluations are usually used for, there's different types of um, immigration cases. And the one that this is typically used for is called the I-601 Extreme Hardship Waiver. And so that's um, in a situation where, for example, if I were um, married to someone who is undocumented and came over illegally and they are trying to um, waive, have the process waived to where he has to go, where he's deported out of the country um, for an extended period of time. It depends on how long, typically around 10 years. But, you know, that's, that's, um, that changes with every case, but, um, but I'm trying to get 
trying to help with the process to get that waived. And so they have to submit, obviously, a, a packet of information with the application. And so attorneys refer to me as a therapist to meet with them and to evaluate the hardship that um, that they're already facing and that they, but specifically what they would face if their spouse were to have to um, to leave the country for an extended period of time. So it's not one of those things that it's just, you know, it's going to be hard on us financially or, um, you know, the separation is going to be difficult. They're looking for something extreme. So they're looking for situations in um, where there's medical issues, maybe a child and their child has medical problems to where they, um, they need that extra help with the, you know, to, to care for the child or um, a situation where maybe it is financial, <clears throat> but it would financially destroy them to the point that they wouldn't even um, be able to pay any of their bills, or maybe their, their spouse that remains here is unable to work for some reason, so they would have no income. So it's looking at those extremely um, difficult situations and presenting that in an evaluation to where um, it will support their evidence that they're providing. Okay. So, I mean, I'm thinking of a couple situations um, where, you know, maybe a, a couple has three or four children and the mother is a stay-at-home mom um, and the, the, the husband, for, for whatever reason, is facing deportation. Um, you know, I remember when my kids were little, daycare is expensive. Absolutely. And if she's been a stay-at-home mom and doesn't necessarily have a high-wage, high-demand skill set, and even if she does, just paying for daycare for those children while she works could potentially be devastating financially. Um, and, and so the primary breadwinner um, being deported would, would be devastating. So. Absolutely. That's one of the things that we typically discuss um, is if the, if the um, let's say, for example, if the wife does stay at home with the, with the children um, and typically if they've worked, because if they stay home, a lot of times they've stayed home for a good number of years. So if they've had past employment, it's usually like um, fast food or um, a dry cleaners or working at a grocery store or something like that where you make pretty much just like minimum wage. Mm -hmm. While making minimum wage, and this is something that I present mm -hmm. in the evaluation, you know, they would typically make about this, you know, however much money, I would say probably around $1,200 a month working full time. And then they would have to pay for childcare. Childcare is extremely expensive. So, mm -hmm. you know, I have them get quotes and then I present in the evaluation, this is a situation that they would be in. And so this is what they're facing. So right. yes, that's a perfect example. Um, so how did you get into doing hardship evaluations? Um, when I actually, when I was in LMSW, I started working for a, um, for a colleague in her practice, in her private practice. So I was kind of doing private practice, but doing it the, the legal way where, um, where I was working under her practice. And I just, I got a phone call from, from someone one day asking if this is something that I could do. And I said, okay, let me give you a call back. And um, mm -hmm. went and did some research and um, ended up saying, I, you know, I, I believe I can do this. Let me see. Let me, um, let's meet. I got some information from them. I got a release to talk to the attorney and I called the attorney and kind of was like, okay, 
I know it's something I can do. I'm happy to do it, but I don't, I've never done this before. So can you kind of tell me exactly, you know, what you're looking for and just went from there. So that was back in 2009. And, um, when I provided the evaluation to, to um, that client who then provided it to the attorney, the attorney kept referring to me. And so now we have a really, a really strong, close uh, working relationship. And since then, I've just had calls, you know, now I, I've started to advertise it. And so I get calls from people from all over, um, all over the state. And even I have people that have come from different states, from Oklahoma, from Alabama, from different places that have come to, um, to get these evaluations done. So it's just kind of something that was, was put in my lap and I did it and has just grown over the years. Okay. So, I mean, the average therapist obviously isn't going to know what questions to ask in this evaluation. And that's one of the things that you cover in your, um, seminar on, on how to do these things, um, and it sounds like from what you're saying, if, you know, I wanted to get into doing um, hardship evaluations, one of the things I would do after I had the training and everything would be to reach out to some of the immigration attorneys and maybe family attorneys in my area. Would that be? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So that's really the best, the best way to do it. And that's, that's kind of, I've done that um, to some extent. I've just um, been blessed that I've had a number of people contact me and then word of mouth because a lot of times if you know if one person has gone through this process they typically know other people that are going through it as well mm -hmm. so if they feel like you know you're easy to talk to that you're you know that you're able to get them in quick that you do a good evaluation that your prices are reasonable then they're going to refer other people to you as well so that's something that um, that's another way that I've gotten clients but yes absolutely just reach out to immigration attorneys in your area and um, a lot of times they're looking for someone to, to refer to. So they'll say, let me refer one person to you and then see how it goes. And then if it goes well, then they'll continue to refer. Fabulous. Um, so do you have to be bilingual um, in order to do these evaluations or can you use an interpreter? I'm thinking some of the people that you may be doing evaluations with may speak English as a second language pretty naturally. So, you know, is bilingual yeah. necessary? Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, yes, it is definitely um, beneficial if you can, if you, if you're bilingual. Um, a lot of, you know, obviously I'm in Texas, and so, which is very close to to Mexico, so um, or to the, you know, South America, um, and um, so a lot of my clients are do speak Spanish. Um, and so that I do, I'm bilingual and that is something I probably, I would say probably 50 to 75% of my, my immigration clients, um, speak Spanish primarily. Um, every once in a while they will, and usually they'll know a little bit of English also, but, um, but typically the sessions are done in, in Spanish. I would think that although you, I would, I'm sure you could use an interpreter, I don't know that the clients would probably feel very comfortable with that. So, you know, there, there are different situations that um, where they both of them speak English. For example, if if the um, the undocumented um, spouse came as a young child and kind of grew up here, then um, they might know English pretty well. And in those situations, obviously, anyone could do that. 
Um, I have also had um, some clients that are from like Africa or from um, a couple of different European countries and in those cases that would be English. So it's not completely um, unreasonable to think that someone who isn't bilingual could do these. I think it would just probably limit it a little bit more. Sure. Okay. Um, and you already kind of spoke to this, the demand for these evaluations. You said you've had people contact you from multiple different states to have these done. So it sounds like, especially in the current political climate, um, there are huge demands for these sorts of evaluations to be done. There are. And, you know, for that reason, I, um, I actually ended up opening up another office in Waco, Texas, um, which I don't know if you know where that is compared to the DFW area, but it's about an hour and a half um, south. And so I, um, I ended up opening up an office over there, which we have family there and our son goes to school there and everything. So there's other reasons, other things that drew me to that area. But, um, but I thought, you know, if we're going to be going there and visiting family and stuff, I could probably just go ahead and see clients there because I was having clients call me from that area and from beyond that area. And so um, that's something that I have done just because I, there was a need. And so there, there is quite a demand for, um, for these evaluations. And really, the, um, you could probably do them as much as you, as you want to do them. So absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of areas of the country where these are very um, needed, especially people to, to perform these evaluations. Okay. Um, and I, I know there's probably a range, but one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, not only being receptive and, you know, all the stuff you would hope from a, an interviewer or a clinician, but also having reasonable rates. Can you give me an idea? I mean, general sure. ballpark, what are, what are we looking at? Um, so it just kind of depends. Different um, clinicians charge different rates. I've seen um, anywhere from like probably the highest I've seen is probably closer to like 1500 to 2000 for the interview and um, or for the sessions and the evaluation. I try and um, keep it reasonable. It's something that I feel like, okay, I can, it's worth leaving my family to do this work. Um, but it's also worth it to them that, you know, they're getting a good service um, at a reasonable rate. So I charge $100 for the sessions, and I have um, a minimum of three sessions that they have to come to. And then um, I charge $200 for the evaluation. So in total, it comes to about $500. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I think I'm, I'm pretty much at the lower end of what um, other clinicians are charging. So, you know, kind of like we do with a a lot of the rest of our uh, fee setting is figuring out, you know, how much time is it going to take me and what is it going to be worth in terms of my time, recognizing that, you know, there are going to be people that are more expensive um, and but also recognizing the population that you're working with is, you know, likely not independently wealthy or they wouldn't be coming for a hardship evaluation. Exactly. Um, So you want to make sure... um, you find that sweet spot that you feel like you're getting, you know, enough compensation, but you're also affordable so, so people can get this done. And it's that finances don't serve as another barrier to exactly. keeping their family together. Exactly. Is the process the same? And I think you kind of answered this since people come from other states to you. Is the process the same for doing hardship evaluations in other states? 
Um, typically, <clears throat> excuse me, I would think so. Typically, um, I, I know that the, um, as far, because I, I approached one of um, the attorneys that I have a really good relationship with a while back and said, you know, I feel like maybe it would be helpful if I were to go and get some training about the immigration process and kind of the different steps that my clients are going through just so that I can have an understanding. And, um, and he was like, you know, you don't really need to do that. As long as you can do your evaluations and do a good evaluation, that's really all we need from you. So don't even worry about the process. So they're just, they're looking for a good evaluation. And really, I think it pretty much would be the same with every, you know, in different states, as long as it meets the criteria because different attorneys want them to, to say something specific or, you know, don't talk about this or, you know, those types of things. But so different attorneys may have different, um, criteria, but, um, but overall, I think the pro the process is pretty much the same. It's, it's really just evaluating what their situation is and the hardship that they're facing. Okay. Um, what other things, if you want to go over just kind of briefly what the outline for your, your webinar for, for teaching people to do hardship evaluations, what does that look like? Sure. So um, currently it is four hours. I'm trying to figure out how to kind of condense it to make it more cost effective for everyone. Um, so it's right now it's four hours and we go, the first half is really just talking about um, how to prepare yourself for doing these evaluations as far as um, what you need to have prepared um, as far as paperwork. And then also um, how to take the intake calls, the, um, the type of, all the information that you need to gather, what you need to go over with your, with your clients in the first, um, in the first session, the information that you need to gather from them. Um, as far as like, do they need it? Are there any documents or having them sign a release of information so you can talk to the attorney, different things like that. And then, um, and then the second half of it is, specifically going over the different questions to ask in the different areas of the evaluation and then how to how to structure the evaluation when you're when you're typing it up and then um, situations that may come up where you need to have follow-up sessions with those those clients for example um, it's not unusual that an attorney will, um, for whatever reason, kind of sit on it and they, you know, they'll get the evaluation, say, okay, great, we're, we're ready to send everything off. And then six months later, I'll get a call and say, okay, well, we, we never sent it off. So now we're, we need a more recent, um, we need it to be updated. So kind of what that would look like. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then also how to, um, build relationships with the attorneys when you need to contact them, when you need to, when you don't need to, how to contact them, all those types of things. So it's really not just the evaluation that we talk about. It's kind of everything that you need to know that's going to help you to feel prepared and to know that you're, um, that you're ready to see these clients from, from beginning to end, exactly everything that you need to know. Excellent. Okay. Um, and if you know somebody, you know, if any of our listeners know someone who may need a hardship evaluation, maybe they've got a client, a lot of our, our listeners are clinicians, and they've got a client they're working with who, who is getting ready to um, deal with, with some sort of a hardship situ situation, how do you get them in touch with the right people? How do you figure out what attorney to send them to or what therapist or what do you do? So, um, 
You know, that's, that's kind of a, a little bit of a tricky question. I would say that if I were in a situation where I was trying to find someone, I would probably go online and, and do a search for my area and see if there's, you know, immigration evaluation or hardship evaluation in my zip code or in this, you know, city. If I didn't come up with anyone um, from that way, I might call some immigration attorneys in the area and say, you know, I'm needing to find someone that, um, that can provide these hardship evaluations. Um, do you have anyone that you use? So that's probably honestly the, the best way that I would know how just to, you know, in general, say how you can find someone. That's probably the, the route that I would take. Okay. And I'm also hearing you say that in this process, um, they're going to have to have an attorney at some point. Um, and probably better at the front end than at the back end. So helping people figure out how to search for um, immigration attorneys online, you know, you know, I'm thinking in my head if I were working with a client who is um, potentially facing deportation of an undocumented spouse, I might not even know that hardship evaluations existed. So they can educate their clients about what needs to be done and you know, how to contact an attorney, how to do some research in their area, and then also potentially how to find hardship evaluators. Does that sound? Yes, that does sound, um, that sounds good. I think that also um, one of the things to consider is that there are, um, you know, different agencies that, that help with this process. So it's not an attorney, although I think, like you said, with the political climate, the way it is, <clears throat> a lot of my clients that weren't working with attorneys before that were working with someone who would just prepare the paperwork and file it for them. Um, they've kind of chosen to go a different route and actually use an attorney um, so that they can have the, um, the backing in case they need it. So, um, so that's kind of the route I've seen a change in, in the, in that, um, in that they're starting to, a lot of times really try and go and, and work with attorneys. So, um, because I think it's, it's a lot more needed these days. And so yes, finding an attorney, but there are, um, some like Catholic charities, um, and different organizations that do, um, sometimes help these, um, these clients through the process. And so, um, you know, if it's, if cost is an issue, there are usually, um, some other organizations that you can search for that, that might be able to help as well. Okay. And so if you're working with a client who maybe can't afford an attorney, um, or if you're a clinician who's wanting to get into doing hardship evaluations. We talked about reaching out to immigration attorneys and family attorneys before, but who else, you know, you mentioned Catholic charities. What other organizations might people think about calling in order to either let that organization know that, hey, I can do hardship evaluations or likewise to refer a client to who may not be able to afford an attorney for, for this? Yeah. So, um, you know, there's some that are local to this area that I don't, um, I don't think that would necessarily be in other areas, but just nonprofit organizations that have services for, um, for refugees or for, um, for different, for, um, you know, for immigrants, a lot of times if they don't provide the service, then they can give you some, um, an idea as to where to go and look. Um, and then I'm trying to think of, um, of what else you, you asked. I'm so sorry. 
No, that, that's okay. That, you kind of answered the question. If we're, regardless of whether you're a, a um, evaluator or you're someone wanting to refer, refer a client, how would you start to find non-attorney resources for people who, who might not be able to afford an attorney? And I think you pretty much hit on that. Um, so Googling your local area or calling United Way Information and Referral and finding out about resources in your local area that help refugees and immigrants would be the place to start and um, working out from there. Yes, and a lot of times as you um, as you continue to do these evaluations, you'll get referrals from different from different organizations in different places, and um, and or they'll just Google you and find you, and then you'll say, oh, okay, who are you working with? And then they'll tell you, and you'll say, oh, I didn't even know that they did that. Okay, or I didn't even know that they existed. And so then you just kind of know, okay, this is someone that. Um, that I might be able to to look into or to refer to in the future. I will say that um, a lot of times when I'm when I get these referrals, they're already working with someone. So it's not typical that I would get um, someone calling me and say um, saying, "Hey, I want to do this evaluation, but I need to find someone to to work my case." It's right. usually the other way around. They're already working with someone, and whoever they're working with has either told them you need to find someone that can, can do these evaluations or call this person because I already have a relationship built with them and I know that they're, you know, they're trustworthy, they're going to do a good evaluation for you. So it's typically the that way that um, that they're already working with someone because typically they don't really know that this is something that they even need to do until they're being told, hey, go and, and find someone to do these evaluations. All right. Anything else you want to add on the topic of hardship evaluations? The only other thing is that it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're, that a spouse is requesting for their undocumented, you know, a resident or citizen mm -hmm. spouse is, is, um, is doing the, this process for their undocumented spouse. Sometimes it's the children doing it for the parents. And so that is, you know, it's, it's similar, but it's a little bit different. And so um, I just wanted to mention that, that sometimes it is the children requesting for the parents. And obviously that would create a whole world of hardship um, in, in that situation if a parent were to leave. Um, and so, and then the other thing is sometimes there are different types of cases. So I have um, provided evaluations for, um, for example, a U visa, which is for a, um, an undocumented person that has ex has experienced a crime mm -hmm. here in the United States, and so they're allowed to stay. If you know, if if approved, they're allowed to stay here to um, to help um, through the investigation of that crime. And so that's one of the other things. Also, um, for situations with like domestic violence, there's a whole other process for that. Um, so they um, that would be like the violence against um, it's called VAWA, Violence Against, oh gosh, I, I just drew a blank on, on what it stands for, but different types of cases. So um, so it's not necessarily just this case, um, these um, extreme hardship waivers. There are other types of cases that um, I provide evaluations for. And so I, I also explain those and kind of prepare um, the clinicians to do those types of cases whenever I do um, the training. 
Okay. And for the clinicians that take your training, uh, like you said with the, the other training that you do, are you available after that four-hour training to answer any questions, you know, if they start getting into it and all of a sudden they get a referral for, like you said, for a domestic violence evaluation? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Okay. Yes, I do. I tell them, you know, you're welcome to contact me at any time. And if I can help you, I'm, I'm happy to do that um, because I understand that, <clears throat> You know, sometimes you get a situation that you're just like, hmm, wasn't quite expecting that or this isn't the norm. And so, yes, they're definitely, ha- you know, they're welcome to, to contact me and I'm, I'm more than willing to help them because, you know, the whole idea is that I, I want for them to, to be successful and, you know, to feel very comfortable and knowledgeable and um, completely prepared or as much as possible to, to provide these evaluations. So, you know, if there's something that I didn't go over or I forgot or they just didn't kind of capture in the in the training, then I'm more than happy to help them after. Fabulous. Okay. So um, you are with Brightside Family Therapy. And for those of us, uh, for those of our listeners who are watching the video right now, you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash all CEUs education to see the video of this. Um, in order to register for the path to your C- LCSW, you can go to allceus.com slash brightside, and that'll take you right to her um, registration link. To register for the hardship evaluation seminars, you can go to allceus.com slash hardship. Um, you can also find her on Facebook and get to her directly that way. So I appreciate everybody for tuning in today, and I will see you or talk to you on the next podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe either in your podcast player or on YouTube. You can attend and participate in our live webinars with Dr. Snipes by subscribing at allceus.com slash counselor toolbox. This episode has been brought to you in part by allceus.com, providing 24-7 multimedia continuing education and pre-certification training to counselors, therapists, and nurses since 2006. Use coupon code counselor toolbox to get a 20% discount off your order this month.